Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. So this morning, we are going to jump right in because we have a lot this morning. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're coming to the end of our series that we've been going through as a church here, uh, where we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, specifically uh, Matthew chapter 6, that section of the Sermon on the Mount. Every fall season, we kind of go through uh, the Sermon on the Mount in different pieces and portions of it. And so this, this year, we came to Matthew chapter 6. And as we wrap up this this section of of Jesus's sermon on the mount and as we finish our series uh i wanted to remind you that there's kind of one consistent teaching that Jesus gives as he goes through this section. Yeah, you know, I've kind of started each message highlighting the idea of Jesus flipping the script, right? The idea that uh, Jesus was deliberately teaching his disciples and then also the people who had gathered around. He was teaching them some things that were contrary to the way that they had seen the Pharisees or the spiritual leaders of the day do things, right? And how they had seen the Pharisees do this, and actually the way in which that the people should live, the way for a great relationship with the Lord, is actually completely contrary. It's completely opposite to how they have always seen things done. But throughout this section, right, that is a true statement that Jesus has been teaching that. But throughout this section, really what he's highlighting here is this is a facade of a relationship with your father. And this, this is what I want you to do. And this is how I want your relationship to be with your father. And it is deep and there is deep understanding as there is truth and there is a real relationship. That is really kind of the picture of all these things between giving and prayer and fasting and priorities, which we've kind of talked about at length, each of those different things. What he is doing is he's emphasizing you have seen your spiritual leaders feign a deep relationship with their father. By doing all these things to have this picturesque spirituality. You've seen them do all these things for show, but in reality, what it is, is a show. And their relationship with their father is a show. It's not true. It's not deep. But if you want to have a deep relationship with your father, here is the way in which you go about it. Here is the way to have that deep relationship, that intimate relationship with your father who is in heaven. And this morning we come to the kind of conclusion of this section. And as Jesus speaks and he gets, he wraps up this idea of, uh, all right, let's move from this to this in terms of your relationship with your father. He talks about one final thing. And that is what a deep relationship with your father should produce. 
What an intimate relationship with your heavenly Father, with God the Father, should produce in your own lives. And we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. So if you would follow along with me, it's on the screen. You can open your Bibles. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his his span of life? And which of you by being anxious, or, and, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, when I look at the world right now, it seems to me there's a lot to be anxious about, right? There's a lot to, to worry about, right? You could worry about the, the, the wars and the state of the world and what's going on throughout our world. You could worry about your own finances or about health, about all these different things. Or more than that, you could worry about personal lives and struggles and maybe you're coming off of uh, a not so great thanksgiving with family members that just you just feel so much anxious when dealing about or a parent being anxious for your child or a grandparent being anxious for your grandchildren right there just seems to be this this air of anxiety in the world and clearly it's not getting any better in fact studies have shown that in the last 15 years the i anxiety rate has increased about 75%. Specifically, we see in teens and young adults, it is even ballooned even more than that. And even in the last two to three years alone, anxiety has gone up about 25%. There's clearly something wrong. There's clearly some weight of worry and fear in the world, and it's only growing worse. But I'll be even more honest. I've been incredibly anxious about preaching this message. And you look and you're like, wow, you're anxious about preaching on anxiety? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I have been. I've been wrestling with it. Even from the moment that we started Matthew 6, I knew where we were ending. And there was a fear welling up inside of me. Not because it's a particularly difficult passage to preach. It's not hard to explain. Or it's not that I don't really know what to say. 
It's not because I find it boring or I don't have any passion to preach it. No, I've been anxious because I see the incredible relevancy in our world right now. Because this is such a deep and serious topic that applies in so many circumstances throughout our world. But on top of that, this has been a very real struggle for me in the last two years. It's been something that I have wrestled with and that I have looked to the Lord for in my own life. I've been specifically wrestling with this very passage for the last two years and what worry looks like for my family, what worry looks like in my own life. And so this morning, as we dive into what this passage means, please know that as I speak, this comes from not a high horse telling you just do this, just do this, just do this. This comes from someone alongside you who is trying to figure this out as well. Whatever conviction you may feel this morning about your own personal anxieties, your own personal worries, I'm there with you. So this morning, let's, let's pray together as we look for understanding. Lord, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your many truths in your word. Lord, and as we dive into this heavy topic, and as we take a look at the truth of your words this morning, I pray that you would help us to drop whatever walls we're trying to put up. Lord, in that we would find this passage encouraging in our times of worry and struggle. Your precious and holy name, Jesus' name, amen. So, as I read this passage, my, my mind, it went to this idea of what really is anxiety, right? Anxiety is a word that is so common now. It's thrown around a lot, and there's a bunch of different ideas or, or truths surrounding what anxiety is. There's different types of of anxiety and fear and worry. And so I took to the internet and I was scouring, you know, what, what is anxiety? What truthfully, you know, when we talk about anxiety, how do we define it? And there is this amazing article from the Gospel Coalition uh, that, you know, if you want a link to it, I can send it to you. It is a fantastic article about what anxiety is and how we should interact with it as, as believers. But I loved their description of anxiety. I'm going to read it this morning, and I'm going to kind of interject some examples uh, in the process of it. Um, but know that that's where this comes from. So it says this, depending on the context, fear and anxiety may be one of four types. The first, a God-given emotional response for our benefit. And so this really is the idea of like a fight or flight response, right? This is an emotion or, or a, a psychological response to something that happens. This is a, the way in which your brain is wired, right? If you're in the woods and you encounter a bear, you're going to have some anxiety, right? You're going to have some fear or some worry about what exactly is going on in this situation, and that is a good thing, right? If you were in the woods and you experienced a bear right next to you and you didn't have any worry or fear, I'd be like, hey, you're probably going to get mauled. And that's not a good thing, right? And so here when we look at anxiety, this is a natural response. God has given us a natural sense of 
preservation of, hey, you probably shouldn't go near that. It's dangerous. Continuing on. The second one, a disorder, uh, a disordered psychological response that is not sinful. And this is where we talk about the idea of clinical anxiety. Anxiety that is, is you need medication for, that is, you know, something in your brain is really not functioning necessarily the way that God intended. And this is something that uh, is not sinful because it's something that your mind is wrestling with, right? There, there is something that is not normally going on. Continuing, the third one, a natural consequence of sin. And so this idea of anxiety is, right, if you sin, and you're afraid of having that sin be found out, right? That's that sense of anxiety, right? And, and this is sinful, but this is not specifically what Jesus is talking about in this passage, but it is a natural fear of consequences, or it is a reaction to the consequences that you know are coming for your sin. And then the last one, four, a sinful response to God's providential care. And so, that fourth idea is really what Jesus is talking about in this passage, right? He's talking about a fear of what is to come, a lack of trust in the Lord, in your heavenly Father. It is a lack of trust in the faithfulness of God. It's a fear of what is to come, a fear that you cannot control, and you may look and you say, Justin, that's a really big oversimplification, right? To just say that it's a lack of trust in the faithfulness of God. Well, truthfully, I don't believe that it is. And let me break it down so that you understand why I don't believe that it's an oversimplification. Because worry is a fear that whatever you need, whatever needs you have, whatever is coming in your world will not be met. That it will always go poorly and that if you don't control it on your own, there is a fear that it will always go wrong. And when we look at this idea of right, a, a fear of what is to come or a fear that your needs will not be met, this contradicts the promises that God has give, given us in his word. Throughout scripture, and even in Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus has been preaching, right? We see he emphasizes the ways in which our Heavenly Father provides for our needs. How he will protect us, how he'll guide us. We're going to look at those promises in a moment. But really what it is, is we don't believe that that is true. When we worry, we contradict the promises that God gives us. Now, that may happen for a variety of reasons, right? It may not always be that we're like, God doesn't got it. But what our worry does is it convinces us that he doesn't have it. It may, be ha it may happen because we don't know his promises. It may happen because we don't really think that in this situation or th that his promises don't apply to us as a whole. Or it may be because in our times of anxiety, we don't think about God at all. Whatever the reality may be, when we experience this deep worry and this deep anxiety of what is to come uh, or that our needs won't be met or all these different things, this deep worry, we forget the promises of our Father. 
And as we forget the promises of, of our Father, it creates in us this intense worry because our own fear begins to overtake us as we struggle to control every single thing in our world. As we forget about the promises of God, we say, all right, well, I need to take that on myself. But as Jesus teaches here in Matthew chapter 6, he is trying to help both the disciples and us now to understand that we have to seek those needs from our Father. All these things that I've been teaching you to do between prayer and fasting and being thankful and setting your priorities right and laying up your treasures in heaven and not on earth, all these things are to help you have this intimate relationship with your Father. And as you have an intimate relationship with your Father, you have to understand He alone will provide. You cannot provide for yourself. You cannot take care. You cannot be in control of all things. That's your heavenly Father's role. So, stop worrying. Stop worrying about the physical. Stop worrying about the spiritual. Stop worrying about the emotional needs you have. Stop being anxious that they will be satisfied because if you know your heavenly Father, if you have this intimate relationship with with your heavenly Father, He will remind you and He will continually provide. And that's why, like I said before, this passage in Matthew chapter 6, it kind of culminates with this final instruction that Jesus gives in regards to an understanding that our Father cares for us. And so it's important that this morning that we truthfully reflect on who our Father is. In the face of our worry, in the face of our anxiety, it's important that we know these truths. That in times of worry, in times of fear, when anxiety begins to take over, that we can combat that with the truths of who our Father is, with the truths of who will be in control, who will provide, who will take care of whatever need we fear surrounding. So the first thing is, sometimes we forget how God is our Father. Turn with me to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John is laying out his his purpose for writing the gospel. And, And if you didn't know, John's purpose in writing the gospel is to communicate how Jesus is God and how he loves us desperately. And as he begins... He talks about how, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he begins to expand upon who this Word is. And he starts talking about Jesus, and he lays this out. But he, he comes to this, this part in, in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, where he talks about the purpose of the Word. Why the Word was coming. And we see it in verse, or in, in verse 12 and 13, it says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we see this clear picture of how we have become sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
Right? We had a need. We had this innate need. God created us, and he created us perfect in perfect relationship with him. But we sinned. We did we disobeyed what God had given us as direction, as instruction. And because of that disobedience, we drove this wedge in between us and God. And there was this separation of, of relationship, this separation between us and the Lord. And thus, the deepest need that we have was created. But God loved us enough, even in our brokenness, even in our distance, he loved us enough and cared for us enough to satisfy that need. And the way in which he did it is he sent the word or he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to come and to live on earth and to live in perfection and then to go to the cross and bear our sins upon himself and to die on the cross and then to raise again. And Christ Jesus offers us this salvation, offers us this fix, offers us a solution to this deep need that we have by salvation. He says, if, if you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart that, Je- that he is Lord, that you will have that salvation, that that need will be solved. And in doing so, the, that is the only way, in doing so, What it does is it makes us sons and daughters alongside Christ Jesus. We have been adopted. We have been made part of the family. And so the idea is, right, if God is your father, if God is your father, and before he was your father, when you were just a rebellious person who hated him, who was at this great distance, and he satisfied the biggest need in your life, Why now, when you are his children, will he not satisfy your regular needs? And truthfully, Jesus emphasizes the truth of this same idea. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 6, I think this verse, in in verse 31 and 32, these two verses really highlight the importance of recognizing and understanding this. Jesus draws this clear contrast between those who have salvation, who have been saved, who have been brought near and become children of God, to those who haven't. He says this, verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly, fathers know, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. Right? He says, it makes sense that the non-believers, it makes sense that those who are far from God have a reason to be anxious. And truthfully, me standing here this morning, I don't know how people aren't just always anxious all the time who don't know Jesus. Because truthfully, if you look at it, they, they have a reason to worry. They have a reason to be in fear because they live in this fallen world plagued by sin with no hope and no way out and no no salvation. They have no father who is providing for them. Yes, God gives grace and mercy to them by allowing them to exist, but he does not comfort them the way that he comforts us as believers. He does not provide for them in the way he, provide, he promises that he will provide for us as believers. He says it makes sense that they're worried about all these things because they don't have a father to look out for them. But you do. 
And that's a twofold understanding, right? You need to understand that so that you aren't anxious, so that you aren't constantly in worry, but then you need to worry about that so that, or you need to understand that so that you show them and express to them their need for a father and their need to have salvation. But even though we may understand, right, this idea of salvation and becoming God's children through Christ Jesus, I think a lot of times we kind of compartmentalize in our mind that being the case and the things that we think God can deal with in our lives, right? We're like, oh, you know, yes, I know I'm a child of God. I know that he is our father or he is my father, but, you know, I think I just need to kind of deal with these things myself. He, he's not really involved in this, and I don't really truthfully want to involve him in that. Right? We don't really think about God, who is creator, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, as the same God who is our intimate Father, who looks to satisfy and care for our needs. And so the question has to be asked, who is our Father? And this morning, I, I could get up here and I could tell you all these different ways that He is, you know, these different things, who our Father is. But I, I thought that it would be actually much better this morning to look at what Scripture describes our Father as. And so if you would, I'm going to turn to a bunch of different passages. You can either follow along with me, but I'm going to go quick. So you got, this is going to be like a wanna sword drills. Or you can listen. They're going to be on the screen. But I would encourage you, write these down. Because these aspects of who God is, who your Father is, is an incredible tool in whatever circumstance you're worried about. They're incredible tools in your fight, your battle against whatever control you're looking or you're struggling with. And so the first thing is our Father is provider. Psalm chapter 34 verse 10, it says this, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Our Father is giver. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which you, or He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is the world because of sinful desire. Or in James chapter 1 verse 17, every good and perf- or good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom he- there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our father is a helper. Psalm 146 verses 5 through 9 says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those whose heads are bowed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. 
Our Father is satisfier. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Our Father is all-powerful. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. That's our Father. That's who He is. Yes, you know, yes, sometimes we separate these things, but we have to understand that is the one who Jesus calls us to have a deep relationship with. He is the one that provides. He is the one that cares. He is the one that sees your needs. And he has all this powerful, or this power. He has all the, these tools. He is the one who does these things. Our Father does these things and so much more. And in our times of, of fear and anxiety, he speaks these things as truth. So why do we fear what tomorrow is bringing? Why are we worrying? Why is anxiety plaguing our hearts and our minds? Because we may now know these things are true, but because we like to sit in the driver's seat. Because we like to control our own lives. Because Controlling our own lives is far more comfortable than trusting anything else but ourselves. For many of us, trying to con control our own anxiety is preferable than giving our anxiety to God. And as we strive for control, the only things we let God deal with are the things that have begun to slip out of our control or that refuse to bend to our control. We're like, ah, God, I can't really figure this one out. So if you would take care of that, that would be awesome. Right? Those are the things that we're like, oh, this is my prayer request because I can't change this reality. But God says, you should trust in me in all things. You should trust in me in the things that you can control and the things that you can't. Now, this isn't to say, you know, you should sit there and just wait for, you know, God to door dash stuff to your door, right? This isn't, you know, like, oh, I should just sit at home and I'm going to trust God to put money in my bank account, right? He says he provides for the birds. The birds don't sit and wait for worms to show up to their tree. No, they use the gifts. They use the, the tools that God has given, a, given them to look for provision. Right? They go and they, they search for the worm. Right, The early bird gets the worm. They go and they, they, they seek the provision that God has placed. So we work according to the provision of the Lord. But in, in and as we work, we must remember that He is the one who provides. That as we look to be faithful, He will always be faithful. And truthfully, this idea of control or wanting to be in the driver's seat, whatever you want to call it, this is pride. Because we are refusing to acknowledge that there's someone that has more control than us. 
We're refusing to acknowledge that there, if you know, if you want to push that analogy even further, that there's a better driver than us. But there is, right? There is one who is in control of all things. There is one who is all these different things that we've talked about, and that is our Father. And so we have to humble ourselves. This is exactly what we talk about in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6, and 7. He writes about the very truth of this idea, right? He understands as he's writing, the Holy Spirit has given him this understanding that our need to control gets in the way and causes us deep worry and fear. And he says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Christ's desire for us, the reason why he's teaching his disciples this, the reason why he emphasized this, and he spends time wrapping up this section on their need to deal with their worry is because he understands that they will experience burden in their lives, right? Jesus knows what's about to come. Jesus knows of his death and his resurrection. He knows that as they begin to put together the church that they will be under heavy persecution. And he knows that alongside of that, there's going to be another bunch of turmoil in their own lives. And he says, all those burden you're, you're bearing, they shouldn't be your own. They don't need to be your own. His desire for us is to trust in our Father, to live a life focused not on fear, not on worry, but on confidence in the work of the Lord in our lives. To be confident and work alongside what the Lord is doing, the ways in which He is showing up in our lives and the lives of others. Now, I know some of you... As you're hearing this, if you're really an anxious person, you're really a worrying person, you're like, Justin, now I'm stressed, I'm worried about being worried, right? Like, I'm starting to, like, be anxious about my anxiety. Yes, I see, I don't need to be anxious. And so now I'm, like, feeling bad or feeling scared because I know that, you know, that is my natural propensity. Breathe for a second right i'm not going to just leave you hanging the word of the lord does not just leave you hanging and so i want us to turn to one final passage and i and i didn't give the guys in the back this so you're gonna have to pull it up in your own bibles but that's actually preferable because then you can highlight it highlight it because it's so incredibly practical it helps us in our own walk with christ and it's philippians chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 and here Paul is writing to the church in, in, in Philippi and he's writing them and he's talking to them about, hey, we get there's fear. We get there's worry. This is something that every human being struggles with at times. Here's how you can combat that. Here is the way in which you can rely on your father. And he says this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, be, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we talk about is prayer, right? We've been talking about prayer a lot in this series. And the reason why Jesus 
He teaches in this passage about prayer, and then he begins to talk about this worry and anxiety that cripple us or that, that hold us from the promises of God. He says, that is the very reason you need prayer. That's why you start off prayer with our Father who is in heaven to remind yourself of who you're going to, who you're asking of this, these things from. He says, this is your tool. This is your lifeline. Use it. Specifically, a great place to use it is when you're worried. When you're afraid. When there's fear. When you lack confidence in the promises of God. Go to Him. And then specifically, in that prayer that He says, pray like this, He tackles needs. He says, go and bring your needs to God as well. And you know what? He will provide and He has provide, provided. He is the way that you have satisfaction. And that peace will begin to overflow you. And if you ask someone who has gone through deep worry and anxiety and fear, you want to know what they'll tell you is the best key in those times? They'll say prayer. You want to know why? Because my mom has struggled with it her whole life. And when I was really struggling, you know what she said? Pray. Talk to your heavenly Father. It's important. Go to the Prince of Peace when you need peace. But the second thing that he talks about here is thankfulness. Right? He goes, by everything, uh, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thankfulness. He says, this is another key to anxiety. And it's actually kind of crazy. Recently, there was a study that was conducted on people's minds who are, who are working through anxiety, who are working through fear and worry. And they found that in those people, in those people who are working through fear and anxiety, that that section of the brain cannot function at the same time that the, the, the piece of the brain that deals with gratitude functions. One functions or the other. So if you're thinking about gratitude, if you're, if you're reflecting on thankfulness and the blessings you have received, they use that word in the study blessings, right? It's a secular study. They say if you're thinking about these things, you cannot feel anxiety at the same time. Your brain cannot do both. And it's crazy that that is the truth of how our brain is wired. And thousands of years ago, Paul is writing to a church and he says, you want to combat the anxiety you have? Start praying and start doing it with thanksgiving in your hearts. And so, in times where you feel overwhelmed or when you feel deep worry, spend some time reflecting on the things that the Lord has blessed you with. The promises that he's blessed you with. The truth that he's given you. And so this morning, what better way to practice gratitude than spending some time in communion, remembering the Lord's sacrifice for our sins? What better place to go in a time of fear and worry than to the Lord's Supper, which is a place of remembrance over the deepest need that we have which is salvation and 
the way in which our Lord, our Father provided that through Christ Jesus, through his death and resurrection. And so this, in the next couple minutes, right, the band's going to come and play. We're going to play a song. And I'd encourage you, spend that time reflecting on the thankfulness, on the gratitude you have for the death and resurrection of our Son, Jesus Christ. Spend that time reflecting on the thankfulness that you have for the gospel, the thankfulness that you have for the way in which he shed his blood for you so that you could become sons and daughters alongside of him and have a father who provides. So I'm going to pray here in a second. And as we spend that time, when you feel ready, come up, the elements will be here in the front. You can grab them, but hold them because we're going to take them together as brothers and sisters together. I'll get get back up and we'll do that together and then I'll pray. But let's pray right now, Lord. Lord, Lord, I am so incredibly thankful this morning. Lord, in times of fear and times of trouble and times of anxiety where I've looked to control and where I've seen it slip away, uh, it's only gotten worse. Lord, you've reminded me of your faithfulness to me. And Lord, I don't know every circumstance of every person in this room, but I do know that you are capable that you're capable, that you care, and that you see those needs. Lord, and I pray for my friends in this room that they would realize that and that they would give up control. Lord, that we, as your people, would trust in you, our Father. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would move us towards gratitude towards thankfulness in the ways in which you've provided for us and specifically the way that you provided for us with your son Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we, we gather these elements and in a moment as we partake in them together, Lord, that you pr- would help us to reflect on our thankfulness for his death for our sins. Our thankfulness that we have a way that there's no other way besides the way which you provided which is your son Jesus Christ and that we would remember and reflect on that this morning Lord we love you precious and holy name Jesus name